As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the NBA Daily Ding on The Athletic NBA Show. Ding, ding! How about we can just watch basketball? I like that idea. Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding here on The Athletic NBA Show. I'm Jared Weiss. I am joined by Knicks writer extraordinaire Fred Katz. We have Andrew Schleich producing. And Fred, I want to talk to you about two stories around this year. And the first one, we're going to have to hop on the D train for this one. So can you tell me about how normal... You can hop on the D train, my man. (laughs) Listen, Mitchell Robinson's not. Mitchell Robinson is not hopping on the D train. I'll tell you that much. Okay, so you attempted to write a story about Mitchell Robinson, and it turned into this. And it's, I don't know how to explain it, except that it's bizarre, it's insane, it's stupid, and it's incredible. <laughs> I I will accept all of those. I, I, I think bizarre, insane, and stupid are compliments in this scenario. Uh, incredible, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's incredible in the literal definition of incredible. I think it completely <laughs> just... The story just lends no credit to to anybody. It, it should. It, I think it's discreditable. Like it should just discredit me from anything ever. It's a it's a a totally ridiculous story uh, that is about only about Mitchell Robinson's obsession with an accidentally salacious New York Post headline that ran in early December of this past season. The Knicks were on a really good defensive stretch. They just won their whatever game in a row. I think it was over the Hornets. And the post ran a back page that said, riding the D train, which is a pun about the New York City subway system. And also a pun, they're riding the D train. Their, their D has been really good. Their defense has been really good. And it's got a picture of Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson saw it and immediately thought of the uh, looter meaning of riding the D train. Something I I did not want to point out in the story. Felt like it was writing you want to show. You don't want to tell, right? You could let the reader figure out what riding the D train means. So uh, invoked the the much looter meaning and became obsessed with it. All he did was make riding the D train jokes to us all the time, to the beat reporters, to the other players. If you mentioned the D train to him, you could just get him to laugh. Every conversation that you had with him was some sort of deke in order for him to be able to say riding the D train. And, and for those who don't know, Mitchell Robinson is a total character. 
I mean, there he he is liable to say something that can make you laugh at any given moment. Uh, and so I wanted to write something, honestly, all year kind of showing what Mitchell Robinson's personality is like to be around because he has a unique personality. And I hate it. I hate it when people write or use quotes that says, that guy's really funny. And then don't provide anything that's funny that happens. You want to show. You don't want to tell. So if somebody's funny, then you should be able to think of one funny thing they've done or said. So I wanted to write something about Mr. Robinson being funny, but I felt like it needed a premise. So I, I kind of surrounded it with the premise being Mitchell Robinson is obsessed with jokes about D train. And then I used that premise as a way to kind of pull out other anecdotes of little quirks that he's done or things that he's said or ways he likes to turn down interviews. And I use those as ways to lead into those as we kind of keep the D train narrative on the tracks for lack of a better term. <laughs> so you, you tried to talk to him about it. How did that go? Well, by some standards, it it went poorly. Uh, by other standards, it went fantastically. Uh, because I never, I never really interviewed Mitchell Robinson about the D train for the story. I just walked up to him one day in Toronto. I was like, "Mitch, can I? Do you care?" Because all this stuff is like when you're a reporter, it's not like everything that happens is definitively on the record or definitively off the record. As a matter of fact, a lot of the time it's really up to the discretion of the reporter to use kind of their own judgment in was this said to me on the record? Was this said to me off the record? Now, if something is like super newsworthy and nobody says to you it's off the record, then you have a responsibility to go with it. But if it's just like Mitchell Robinson is making dick jokes all the time, that's not newsworthy. It's funny. Apparently it is actually, but go <laughs> it's ahead. It's not. It's funny. It's great to read about. I think people read that and thought Mitchell Robinson seems like a joyous guy to hang out with. Uh, but it's not newsworthy. Newsworthy is Mitchell Robinson is playing through an injury. Newsworthy is Mitchell Robinson has been traded. Newsworthy is is something having to do with basketball. Mitchell Robinson is going to come off the bench. Those are newsworthy things. This is not newsworthy. And Mitchell Robinson's making all these jokes to the side to us. And I know his personality, um, but I think out of respect in those sorts of situations, like you don't know if his mind is like, there are no recorders on. We're just chatting and we're joking around and having a human relationship. So I have respect to him. I'm not just going to like write the story. I was going to ask him, you mind if I write this story? So I walked up to him. I said, Mitch, you mind if I write a story about just your obsession with the ride in the D train headline? And he said, uh, yeah, the people got to know. <laughs> so he wanted the awareness out there. He wanted it out there. So I wrote it. I never interviewed him for the story. I just kind of put together a bunch of lines that he had said um, that had made me laugh. And my rule of thumb is usually if it makes me laugh out loud when it happens, that's a good sign that it's actually funny uh, and that it's worth retelling. And, and a lot of this stuff... Like, I think the story is funny, but I didn't write it funny. You know what I mean? Like, there are some stories that I want to be funny and I'll write them funny. The Mitch story, I didn't really write funny. I actually wrote it straight because you don't want to, um, you don't want to overload and you don't want the focus to be like, Ooh, that, 
the writer was really funny. You want the focus to be Mitch was funny and you let his personality carry that. So a lot of the guys who have big personalities who I write about when I would do like Steven Adams features when I was covering the OKC Thunder, who is just a hilarious interview. I, you, I often write Steven Adams like really straight. I don't really put any jokes and, or, or quips or anything like that in a Steven Adams story. I actually sometimes get like really serious and like writerly in a Steven Adams thing because it can make the Steven Adams joke about how he doesn't wear shoes when he goes to the mall, which is like a real thing. He'll just walk around the mall barefoot because he told me once, quote, I sometimes I just can't be bothered and he just doesn't want to wear shoes. <laughs> See, that quote yeah. hits. The facts are funny. You're laughing. Yeah. That quote no. hits. So if you write it writerly, all of a sudden that's that's just going to punch you in the throat. You're going to laugh. Um, so, so I think part of it is recognizing just how ridiculous the whole thing is and there were look also like when you're writing about dick jokes it's kind of funny to write about dick jokes seriously you know mm -hmm. we're talking about dick jokes literally that's literally all the story is talking about dick jokes which steven adams told many of too but it, it, to your point what makes it great is that the more serious you write it, the more it seems like the reality is the absurdity that they're painting. Like you have this line in here where you said for him, the whole uh, D train thing, it was less of a joke and more of a public service announcement. This was no bit and it had become a cause. It's like you're treating it so over the top seriously that it makes it even more ridiculous. And that's preceded a few lines earlier, him turning down a one-on-one -on -one request. And he said he couldn't do it because he had to go post to his OnlyFans. And it's like, that, it's, that was it's one of my... That was one of my favorite moments of the year. That was with Stefan Bondi from the New York Daily News. Covers the next, does a great job. Yeah, Bondi, bon he said that to Bondi, and I wasn't there for it. Uh, Bondi immediately comes to me after. He's like, because Bondi and I will laugh about things that Mitch says, says to us all the time. And he just turns down interviews in outrageous ways like that. Uh, and and Bondi hits me up after, immediately after it happens. Like, dude, you're going to lose it when you hear what Mitch said. And I texted him for that story because I felt like that was his anecdote. You know, I was like, do you care if I write this? He had already written it in a story earlier in the year. I was like, do you care if I put this in this story that I'm writing? And he was like, no, that's that's so funny. Uh, so that that's probably my favorite Mitch joke ever. Honestly, it's so funny. Like he totally deadpanned it, too. I mean, mm -hmm. he just I have to go post on my OnlyFans. And then he just darted. <laughs> just left it's it's the next beat I, I can't think of another beat that i've seen where the writers reference each other more than anything and i don't know if this starts with mark bourbon and the the origination of the d trade itself but like it's i see the other writers referenced whether it's not just like this was supported by this person it's like i guess because there's such little access on the beat it's like you got to write about something so you can even just write about the attempts the failed attempts to try to get access but it's 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 absolutely hilarious yeah, well, that's also part of what this is, right? This is a story without access. There are no interviews. There's no, I mean, I guess like there's locker room access, the, the bare minimum of access. It's Mitch kind of in, interacting with us while he's by his locker hanging out. Um, but it's not like, you know, I got access to interview Mitch, access to interview stuff. Like I think sometimes when you cover an organization that's really restrictive, as the Knicks notoriously are, you have to get, you have to get extra creative. 
in trying to write stuff. Uh, and I, I really do believe that like, yes, our job is first and foremost to be journalists. And if something really newsworthy comes up and it's an important, serious topic, it is our job to cover that well, responsibly and consistently without question. And that's the most important thing that we do. However, when you cover basketball, most of the time, you're just covering basketball. And the only reason, the only reason that somebody is going to follow the NBA is because it's fun. Why would anyone follow the NBA for any other reason than because they found it fun to follow the NBA? So I do think that our jobs are to make our stories fun for the readers too when when, when, when we're just talking about the basketball or just talking about the center on the team. Uh, I think there's a difference between that and kind of being a homer and, and looking at everything with rose-colored glasses, you know? Like, it also allows you to paint the people who you cover as human beings and not just players, you know? Like, that story got everybody to know Mitchell Robinson as a human being a little better. And I imagine, especially based on the reaction to it, a lot of people like Mitchell Robinson more now after that story, because I think Definitely. he came off. I think he came off well. He's very funny. He makes me laugh a lot. Uh, so, so I, I, I love those opportunities where I can show the human moments, you know. And I think sometimes in those situations, like also being able to tell it first person, like I sometimes in those situations, uh, you can, you can, you can really draw readers in and also like readers who don't care about how to defend a pick and roll, you know, but they might care about this. So I guess to wrap the story up, how did the story end? It's the last quote. The very last line of the story is the best. I think that might be the best part. Well, that was why I wrote it that way. You want the kid. Yeah. You got to have the kicker. Uh, you got to give people a reason to stay. <sighs> story ends. I mean, should I give away the story? Should I give it away for those what? who uh, might nah, want to read it? You know it? what? We'll, we'll leave it for people that want to read it. Uh, headline of the story. I mean, Freddie should tweet it out, but it's having fun with Nick's Mitchell Robinson. Quote, Mitch is always Mitch. I didn't um, get the headline I wanted. Yeah, I figured. Love, no love my editor. Love my editor. Love my editor. But no, no. The headline I wanted was a meaningless anecdote about Mitchell Robinson. Because, <laughs> because years ago, I did a similar type of story about PJ Tucker dragging me into the into Mike D'Antoni's pregame coach conference, uh, co coaches meeting when when he was with the Rockets and they were about to play the Wizards and I was covering the Wizards. And PJ Tucker dragged me in because I had told him some random second spectrum stat that he fared well in and uh, tried to use the stat as a way for D'Antoni to give him the ball as more as I stood there. And it was hilarious. Uh, and I told that story in a similar way to this, I called it a meaningless anecdote about PJ Tucker. And I wanted to similarly write a meaningless anecdote about Mitchell Robinson because I really do think that pointing out just how much of a waste of time this story is for everybody is essential. Like it's an, we've, anyone who has read that story has just wasted their time and it's fine. Like that story is not a main course, you know? That story, that story is like a gas station, like tiramisu where it's like, oh, that's a good product, but like it's from a gas station, you know, but you're like, that's yeah, it's tiramisu. I've never heard I'll eat it. Before. 
I've never been to a gas station with tiramisu, but well, um, that's what I'm saying. Like you know, they have those like little like you get like a nice yeah. gas station. They have those like little prepared things. You like you might have like a like a like a cheesecake with like the like the artificial like strawberry syrup on it, and and maybe a tiramisu. That's that's what this story is. But it's like you really got a sweet tooth. <laughs> Go eat the cheesecake, you know. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's quickly get into one more story, which is, of course, about Emmanuel quickly. You did a, a defensive film breakdown story, and it was pretty unique in that it read way less like a film breakdown and way more like another one of these fun kind of like under you know, behind the curtain of how somebody thinks, how somebody operates story. And honestly, my favorite quote from here is also from Mitchell Robinson, uh, where he talks about quick talking a lot. So. Can you tell me about what makes Quick a good defender and why it was fun, I guess, talking to his teammates and everyone else about it? Mitchell Robinson quotes just coming up everywhere. Uh, They're incredible. Yeah. I mean, Mitch was honestly great for this story. Um, Quick is really, really smart as a defender. And something that really stands out for me every time I watch, and this was before a lot of the six man of the year talk was starting to build for him. This was written in like early, I think February 1st it published. So it was before a lot of that really started the end of the season when he was dropping a ton of points, but he had become such a reliable, solid team defender. Something that always stands out when I see the metrics, and I didn't include this in this story, is you you look at advanced metrics that shows that show how often defenders guard the other team's highest usage player. And you see that, and it's often the guys who you think about as like awesome defenders. Like I think Dylan Brooks spent the highest amount of time while he was on the floor last year, the highest percentage of time while he was on the floor last year, guarding the other team's best player. Uh, I shouldn't say best player, but highest usage player who was on the floor. 
for the Knicks, that guy was Quentin Grimes, who ranked super, super high in that stat and who is a good on-ball defender and almost always took the other team's best guy. He guarded guys from Pascal Siakam to Trey Young. You know, he almost always took the other team's top dog. Quickly, if you look at those stats, is like literally last in the league. He never guards the other team's best player unless it's on an emergency switch or something. He never does it. And it's not because he can't guard. It's because he is so reliable to have in the weak side corner, especially. Uh, Tibbs' defense is puts a lot of pressure on the guy who is defending the shooter in the weak side corner. An extraordinary amount of pressure. Because what it requires you to do, basically the main concepts of a Tibbs defense are all, we are taking away shots at the rim. Period. End of sentence. That is it. You take away shots at the rim. If you take away the rim first, you will take away a lot of stuff after. But you have to take away the rim first. And so all motivations for a Tibbs defense are take away the rim. So you see them pack the paint more. And what it requires on the weak side is when a guy hits the paint, what the guy guarding the weak side corner shooter has to do is he has to come in to the lane to help and deter that dribbler from getting to the rim. And then he has to recover all the way back out onto that shooter in the corner and close out potentially on a corner three-point shooter, or at least disrupt him, get him to pass out of it, whatever. Uh, in the playoffs, we saw the Knicks go to extreme versions of that against the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? When they had like Isaac Okoro in the corner on those plays. And they were just like, we're not even going to close out on you. And the and the, and the Cavs could not find that fifth guy who could hit that corner three. Osmond didn't do it enough. And, and that's why the Cavs had the offseason they had. That's why they went out and they got George Niang and they got Max Strews. Because now you can't defend them the way the Knicks defended them in the first round. Uh, Emmanuel Quickly is really good at that. Uh, he has really long arms, even though he's not tall. He is really quick and he is very smart. So he's got the timing all the way down. Um, and I wanted to write something that kind of taught people how he thinks the game. Cause I really enjoy talking X's nose with him. He's very serious about basketball. He's very serious about watching film. Uh, he, he has really interesting thoughts on X's nose of the game. He teaches me a lot. And, and I love, I love asking him about that stuff. So I was like, I feel like if you're a basketball head, you'll, you'll probably love learning about that too. You know? So uh, that was really where where it came from, and I was I was happy with how it turned out. And credit to him, by the way, because he was cool enough to help me out, look at some plays with me, and um, you know he 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 was he even asked me you know if I could send him the story when it was done. Like he was uh, he was really cool in in helping me put all this together. It was it was it was uh, I really appreciated it. I mean the like the probably the best interaction. Another great story that has just like a, a crucial brief but important interaction between you and the subject was right in the middle of the story he started bragging about my play and you had no idea what he was talking about so how did that go oh yeah well you know what there was also a, a small there's a small detail that i left out of that story because it was kind of a personal Ooh. triumph that had nothing to do with the story so i wasn't going to include <laughs> it and i was never going to but what happened was so the way the story works is I, I use I use this one play to intro from I think it was a Christmas game against Philadelphia 76ers when 76ers come down the floor in transition and the Knicks are mismatched everywhere on the floor and quickly notices it, scans the floor, 
and then starts randomly switching with his teammates onto guys, knowing that he's going to fix all the mismatches. And he does it. And the Knicks have a perfect defensive possession and they get a stop. And it's, you can see quickly scanning the floor and doing it. And I wanted him to look at this play and I wanted him to explain to me, like, how the hell did you do that? How many how many steps ahead are you thinking? So I have the play on my phone. I went up to him at his locker before a game. And uh, I was like, hey, do you mind looking at this play for me? Uh, and just tell me what you're thinking about. I want to write something about it. And he's like, sure, no problem. So he, he takes my phone and it's got like the little screen grab, you know, like when you take an iPhone, it's just got like the screen before you press play. It's got the thumbnail or whatever it's called. And he looks at it, he goes, oh, this is the one where I fix all the mismatches. <laughs> I was like, damn. Um, he's, you know, he 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 can recognize. And, and by the way, this was a month after it happened. This wasn't like the next day. It's like a month after it happened. So we looked at it. He gave me really interesting thoughts. Those are all in the story. Um, he he was able to break down how many steps ahead he's thinking, where he's looking, when he's looking, why he's looking there, why he's going for this switch, why he's going for that. I mean, it's if you are interested in basketball, it is really interesting to hear his perspective on this kind of stuff. Um, the next day, I came in the locker room, and, and as you know, the Knicks are not the most um, the most open organization. Um, so I go in the locker room and a, and a member of Nick's media relations says to me, Hey, don't show, don't show clips to quickly before the game. I was like, why? And, and he says, uh, he, people just don't need to see like coaches don't need to see him come in and say like, why is quickly watching clips with Fred? And I was like, so if I walked up to him and interviewed him about the D train, then all of a sudden, like, that's cool, but we can't talk about basketball before the game. So, it was, I think it was a way of like the Knicks don't want you talking to players and they don't want you getting chummy with players than when you're getting in with players. I said, he seemed to be really into it. Uh, and and uh, Nick's, Nick's media relations said to me like, eh, he didn't like it as much as you think he did. So that, that whole game, I'm like, damn, did Quick say something? And he's just like a polite, nice guy. So he, 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 did he like say something to media relations? Like, hey, can you just tell Fred, like, I don't want to do that stuff before games? Because sometimes he doesn't like to talk before games. And I usually try to respect that. If there are some guys who only want to interview post game, some guys who only want to interview pre game, I always try to respect that schedule. Like, you know, if you're, if you're cool and respectful of me, then I'll, I'll, uh, why wouldn't I be the same to you? And so uh, I was like, damn, like, I know sometimes he doesn't like to talk pre game. Like, did I not read the situation well? Was I, was I being kind of, like, you know, was I, was I pushing myself on him? Was I being, was I being weird? Was I over, was I out of bounds? And I felt bad all game. And then after the game, this was pregame before a game against the Cavaliers, coincidentally. And then after the game, quickly does his postgame press conference and he does his thing. And I'm in his, in his scrum in front of his locker. And he turns to me and he says, did you see my play? <laughs> and I said, I said, what play? And he's like, and he's like, I was like, do you mean like the three that you hit? Do you mean like, what are you referring to? He said, I made an incredible pre-rotation on Isaac Okoro in the fourth quarter. Because <laughs> we had spent so much time just talking about the nuances of defense and all sure. of that. And I was like, you mean on that play with the steal? He was like, yeah, but it was the pre-rotation that was unbelievable. And he said, and then he says to me, uh, I thought, I thought about that. And by the way, Nick's media relations is right there. 
because they're like, you know, in there for the scrums and the press conferences and stuff. He says, when that play happened, I thought, oh, Fred would love that. And so I turned to Nick's media relations. I said, sounds like he hates our interviews. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it was a real wonderful personal triumph for me. Um, It was, uh, but yeah, he was, he was super cool putting together that story because he's, he's a real, he's a real basketball geek, like huge basketball geek. Um, I love covering guys like that. Like some of my, you know, I just, I love being able, one of the best parts of the job, like I'm sure you agree, is being able to talk to people who know so much more about basketball than we do. So like the guys who are actually willing to teach you stuff that they know, like quickly, like John Wall, who I covered in DC, who is amazing to talk basketball with, just a total genius. Um, a number of other guys who I've covered, Billy Donovan was like that. Scott Brooks would teach me stuff all the time. Like being able to learn that stuff, people are like, how do you know this if you like didn't like playing in college? Because like, because I it's just cool to be around all these people who teach you so much about the game. Uh, and and it's it's awesome. Like it's awesome when a player is, is down to open up about that kind of stuff. And I think it's great for like, you know, if I were like 16, 17, 15, still trying to play the game, like at a, at a real level in high school or middle school or whatever, like I would read this, be like, wow, I just learned so much. I can apply a lot of this to when I play, you know? So I always think that's like really cool for, for kids who are old enough to, to get this kind of stuff and be able to read that uh, really come away having like learned something that they think is is really fun and awesome. All right. Well, I enjoyed this conversation almost as much as Emmanuel quickly would, but we have to wrap it up here. So thank you, Fred, for uh, unsurprisingly having probably the longest edition of our uh, writer series pod uh, here at the Athletic MBA show. So for Fred, our next writer and for Andrew Schlecht, our producer, Jared Weiss, and we'll see you next time on The Dick. You got to say ding, ding. Oh, right. Ding, ding.